John chapter 8. You're going to need what is considered a Masoretic text. If you have a New International Version or New American Standard Bible, there's going to be portions of this text that are missing. I've gone through this before. There's the Alexandrian text and the Masoretic text. Um, it depends on your theological positioning of, of what you would prefer. Uh, I, I'm a strong believer in the Masoretic text. For those who think that the passage doesn't exist or was removed, it was said in the third century by Augustine that this portion was removed uh, because men were worried that their wives would commit adultery and have no consequences as relation to it. And uh, there's all kinds of speculation, but uh, suffice it to say, it's a portion of the scriptures. Um, and and the, the Bible wasn't written originally with chapters, chapter seven, chapter eight, uh, it was just one continual writing and, and actually we have paragraphs and, and, and periods and commas and to the Greeks, they would write in one thought process. And, uh, that's kind of what we would do with paragraphs today, but there weren't chapter, uh, numbers. Um, actually chapter eight begins at the very end of chapter seven, uh, in verse 53, um, and in, in that verse, it, it just simply says, everyone went to his own house. And then it begins with verse or chapter eight, verse one. And we'll take a look at that. Uh, some of you are going, wait a minute, we're, we're back a ways. How do we get to chapter eight? Well, let me just share with you the discourse of the bread of life. And then Jesus, uh, being in the, the, the feast of tabernacles stood in the middle of the temple. And he says, if anyone thirsts, uh, uh, you know, he, he talks about living water. He says, from his, his innermost being will flow torrents of living water. Come to me, he says. And he describes all this. And he's, he then goes through a discourse with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And there's, there's intense dialogue going back and forth. I prefer narrative. And, and as I'm going, in a sense, topically through the book of John, just taking certain topics, I'm still going through it in a, in a systematic way. But what has occurred in these previous chapters is there's tension between Christ and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, so much so that when he stands up in the middle of the temple during this Feast of Tabernacles, hundreds of thousands of people have come into Jerusalem for this. And Jesus, in a sense, almost disrupts it all. And people are moved by it. And so they want him dead, and they send the temple guard to go arrest him and apprehend him. And the temple guard comes back, and they say, where is he? He said, you know, it's kind of like the temple guard got there, and they went, well, we wanted to arrest him, but he's fascinating. And, you know, they were, they were so moved they couldn't arrest him. And, and, um, and he is, he's in the, in the center of the beehive, and it is, it's intense. And, and through all of this, in the, in the intensity of it, in a full day of the Feast of Tabernacles, everybody's exhausted. And the dialogue and the intensity of it and, and the fear of his life and the disciples recognizing this, all that's transpired, by the close of the day, they are very tired. And at the end of this Feast of Tabernacles, verse 53 of chapter 7 simply begins by saying, and everyone went to his own house. It's like, that's a day. And they all go home. And, and as everyone goes home, chapter 8 begins with what Jesus does. Everyone else goes to their house to rest. Chapter 8, verse 1 is where we pick up and see what Jesus does after a full day of debating and contending with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who want him dead. These are legalists. Um, they, they, they have a corner on the market of religion. They've, they've got money concerns that they want to protect. They, they don't need this Messiah coming in here and screwing up a really good thing. He's fighting the forces of government. He's fighting the forces of, of religiosity. He's, he's fighting those who would condemn um, you know, and, and when someone has an air of superiority and they project that down on someone else, they oftentimes the people I find to be most judgmental are the people who in their private lives are probably enmeshed in the deepest of sins. The people who are most condemning are the ones who are typically the ones who are struggling themselves uh, and don't want to look introspectively into their own lives. And so they project out and, and condemn others. Uh, legalism is a way to keep people away from you. It's like porcupine quills. You just keep away from me. And, and it's almost a justification of your own life because you're, you're projecting on everyone else's failure instead of looking at your own. Um, you know, as Jesus said, who am I to judge another man's servant? Uh, we, we can stand in condemnation of people and the way they operate, but the Lord says we rise and fall before one master, and that's the Lord. And we stand in condemnation of others, but yet God says in Romans 8, 1, there's that now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
So this is, this is a direct conflict with the Sadducees and the Pharisees who are protecting their sinful world and they don't need someone coming in and shaking it up with this gospel of, of, of mercy and grace and, and forgiveness and love. And, and uh, it, it, it is devastating the stronghold they have on the hearts and the minds of the people that they are attempting to control. So with that, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. As I said, chapter 7 ends with verse 53, everyone went to his own house. And then we pick up at verse 1 of chapter 8. But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him. They were trying to trick him. They were trying to set him up. That they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, so he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up, and he said to them, He was without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out. They went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. Lord, I'm, I'm rocked to my core, and I know the rest of us, I hope, are as well. Your words that set us free. None of us would be standing here this morning if we had never heard those words, neither do I condemn you. Lord, may that sink deeply. He who's forgiven much loves much. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. You did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to forgive the world. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, even in your word, it says in Matthew that if a man thinks in his heart of adultery, he's committed it. There are none righteous in this room. No, not one. And yet, we stand in judgment of one another when you do not condemn us in the midst of our own depravity. Lord, I pray that that would sink deeply into our hearts and we would leave this place transformed. Change us, God. Soften us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the eighth day. It's a somber day. Everyone goes to their own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And we could speculate that he goes to Gethsemane, which is where he was when they apprehended him before he was crucified. The Garden of Gethsemane, which means the olive press, which is where he was pressed by the sins of the world. He knew that evil was descending upon him. Uh, he, he knew what was awaiting him. He, he labored at night in prayer, sweat as it were drops of blood. While he was laboring in prayer in Gethsemane, his disciples were sleeping. He said, Can, couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour and pray? And, and yet here, it's a familiar place to him. When we go to Israel in February, we'll get a chance to go to the Mount of Olives. We'll go to Gethsemane. We'll see different locations of that. Um, one of my friends, Ken Graves, I travel with him sometimes to Israel. And he always leaves the hotel at night. And he, he goes to a place that was considered Gethsemane. And he goes in there. And he doesn't stay in the hotel room. He sleeps in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, you know Ken Graves. He's, he's Shakespeare with, uh, who's the guy in 300? Leonidas's voice, uh, Shakespeare with Leonidas's voice, and he's ripped. He's he's just so handsome. Uh, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he, you know, and I don't let him preach here because all the women would move to Maine, and we'd have a problem. Every every time I greet Ken, he goes, "Hey, how you doing?" 
Poof, and he hits me in the chest. I go, would you stop that, please? I don't. It hurts a lot. And, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, probably Gethsemane. And this was a place of familiar, familiarity to him. Uh, it was a place where he would labor. And, and actually, uh, when he went there, it, you know, everyone else went home to rest. He went there to commune with the Father. He knew what was awaiting him. He knew that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would descend upon him. His spirit was troubled. And what's fascinating is it says now very early or early in the morning, he came again into the temple. So he's probably up all night in prayer. He's had a full day in the eighth day of, of the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and now he gets up very early in the morning, and goes to the temple. And as he goes to the temple, uh, it, 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 the idea is before the sun's rising almost. In this early morning to come to the temple as he arrives, all the people came to him. He's at the temple. And they just, wherever Jesus is, that's where the crowds are. And they descend upon Jesus at the temple. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated this. They're losing their hold on the hearts and the minds of of the citizenry. They're being transformed. Their governmental control, their religious control, their attempt to control is all being dissipated by a man who is simply saying, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This idea that if, if our relationship with the Lord is right, then our relationship with each other will, will be intact as well. And, and their entire community is being transformed. Their lives are being affected and they come to him. And, and the scripture says he sat down and taught them. I've shared this with you before, but for those of you who are new, uh, we may implement this, but, but the idea is it, the way they would teach back then is the teacher would sit and the students would stand. You wouldn't be, you, you wouldn't be able to do this one. Oh, I was just reading, Pastor. You would hit the ground, wake, oh, there'd be no napping. I think we're going to do that next week. Talk about preaching the church down to a manageable size. Nobody would show. The, the chairs aren't comfortable. But he stood and, or excuse me, he sat and they stood and he taught them. So he begins to teach them. And while he's in the middle of a Bible study, now we've had some odd things happen. Nothing tragic as what happened in South Carolina, but in the 14 years I've been the pastor, we've had some strange things happen in the middle of a church service or a teaching. And there's distractions. And, and I just, for those of you who are worried about what happened in South Carolina happening here, I just, I want you to know, uh, if someone attempts that here, they're going to look like Swiss cheese. I'm just telling you, there are people in this room that are prepared for that. They're undercover. They're authorized by the state. And we're not going to let that happen. We're not going to be victims. So I just want you to know that we're, we're mindful of that. Evil roams, um, my, like a roaring lion seeking who may devour. My daughter on Wednesday night was burdened in prayer. God had kind of given her vision. She doesn't share these things often, my daughter Molly. And, and she said, in the vision that God gave her, and I won't go through it, but when she heard what happened in South Carolina, it grieved her. She said, Dad, just make sure. I said, sweetie, it's always been the case. There, there, there are folks in this room that God has given them, as it says in Romans, uh, they're ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who would do evil. They're ministers. We, we have ministering folks in the church ready to minister the sword. <laughs> yes. All right, where were we? So, so in the middle of, of this teaching service, uh, you want to talk about a, you know, a distraction. It says this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So, so she's naked. They may have given her a cloth. They may have given her something to wrap herself with, but they dragged her out of that room in the midst of what was taking place. Now, let me just put it into perspective. Um, some of you have heard this before, but this is Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. This is the law. This is the law of Moses that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were required to fulfill. This is what they lived by. Leviticus 20, verse 10 says, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The mission required that, that they would be stoned to death. Uh, they tie four ropes uh, on the necks of each of the adulterer and the adulteress. They put them, when you read this, the, they'd put them in, uh, I won't even go through it. It was awful. 
Oftentimes they would bury them in the center of the city uh, in a pile of manure and then a tree would grow up and he'd say, well, that's what happens to adulterers and adulteresses. Uh, they, they, they took this Leviticus 20 verse 10 deeply to heart and, and the idea that they must be put to death and stoning was, was the preferred capital punishment offense. That being said, adultery, murder, those were capital offenses that required death. You would go to the gas chambers, you'd go to the electric chair, you would, you would be injected with, uh, you know, whatever it is that would kill you. And, and, um, and so at this point, they are enforcing the Levitical law, the Levitical law. And this woman is caught in adultery and they bring this woman to Jesus. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery in the middle of his teaching session. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. You can imagine them saying, in the very act. Isn't that special? Kind of with that church lady, you know, (laughs) lemon eating. And yet who's missing, obviously, is the adulterer. The adulteress is there, but not the adulterer. They've already broken their own rules, the one that God gave. Now they reject that. It's amazing how folks love to enforce the law as it benefits them. But let's not look at our own lives and what we're responsible for. And it's the ones typically that have engaged in sin that are hurting the most. They tend to be the most legalistic if they're not willing to look introspectively in their own life. They don't want anyone in their soul. So they keep you out. And the law is a perfect way to keep people away. And what does the law do? The law accuses. Can you be saved by observation of the law? No. The law is a schoolmaster to drive you to Christ. There are none righteous, no, not one. You can't survive by observation of the law. The law doesn't save you. The law just shows you that you're a sinner. When it says the law, it's this idea of a measuring stick. It's a rule. And if you have a straight edge up against a stick, you go, that stick looks really straight. But when you put it up against a straight edge, you go, wow, that's not even straight at all. It's kind of curving. It's bent. You see yourself in the light of what God expects. And you say, wait a minute, I don't measure up. Nobody does. And you never will. There are none righteous. Every person in this room has blown it. We have got to get to that common understanding. And if you can't process that, and if somewhere in your heart you you think yourself better, my sin isn't as bad, or yeah, I did that a long time ago. We, We all know that that is not true. You've been screwing up all day today and it's not even 10. (laughs) And if that offends you, there's pride. Deal with that. (laughs) What makes us righteous? There's only one person in this room who's righteous. That's Jesus Christ. The only thing we offer to the equation is we die so that he can live. And when there's less of us and more of him, things are way better. But they don't want to deal with their own lives. I've got my own little thing here and I don't want it screwed up. And I've got my little fiefdom and I got control over a group of folks. And I got people feeding me and telling me I'm special. But before the Lord, you know, you don't even want to stop long enough to have to look internally. You're just running so fast to stay ahead of it all. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, humble means quiet down, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. That means we clean up our side of the street. We don't sit in the church and go, those people, this country is going to hell in a handbag. God says, forget about them. You it's like, it's like Peter saying, what about him, Lord? And the Lord says to Peter, worry about yourself. Peter, you got issues, man. Who am I to judge another man's servant? 
Now, granted, in the church, we have to exercise as an, as an, as an organism that there is um, a modicon of operation that we are required by Matthew 18 to apply, that if, if somebody's coming in to thump or to divide or to, if there's wolves amongst them, you know, we, we have things that God tells us we're supposed to do. But I think in 14 years, I've only come this close to applying Matthew 18 once and the person ended up leaving anyways. It's, it's, it's seldom. I never ask anyone to come. I never ask anyone to leave. And, and at this point, they bring to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And the reason why they bring this woman to Jesus is be, because, and I love what they call him. They say rabbi or teacher. They called him rabbi or teacher. They actually called him master, teacher. And they, 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 they had no desire to study from him or submit to him. Isn't it funny how you get people to come to you and they, they level accolades upon you. I just want to tell you, you just, you know, no, 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 no. And you just, you just know, could you get past that and bring the word but? <laughs> You're just waiting for the word but. You know, you weren't amazing and I just love and I'm so excited about the but. What's a but? But is a disassociative conjunctive. Disassociative conjunctive means it just erase everything you said. <laughs> now tell me really why you're here. It's like a happy sandwich, you know, with the misery meat in the middle. You're so special, but, and I just really want to say that I'm just so happy we could have this talk. Go ahead and have a bite of that. So they're saying, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that should such be stoned. What do you say? <laughs> now they had no desire to want to know what he had to say. They, they were doing it to test him. They were trying to trap him. They, they wanted to justify themselves. They've got to take this person out so they can keep doing what they're doing and they can feel good about themselves. And they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. That's always a defining moment for me when I sit with folks. And they come to a conclusion about me or and, and a, a, a defining moment for me whenever I come to a conclusion on somebody and, and say something that goes towards their soul and their character. See, all, all of us can be sheep and we can also be wolves. We're all capable of, of, of kindness, words of life, and words of death. You find yourself gossiping, slandering, vain speculation, you are in the enemy's camp. You're sowing seeds of death. You're dividing, you're, you're creating misery. You're destroying that's why he's the, the, the commandment that the Lord says, I shall not commit murder, but I say to you, if a man says to his brother, Raka or fool, he's in danger of the fires of hell. You don't need a gun to murder someone. Your words will do just fine. Jesus equates the commandment of not murdering with talking smack about somebody. And we're all guilty of that. And when you, you come to that place, are we being used to the Lord or are we being used to the enemy? The, the enemy of our souls, the devil. Even Peter, when Jesus said, flesh and blood is not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven, moments later called him the devil himself, Satan. There, you have to walk circumspectly. And, and when you get to a place where you say, you, you, you've done this, this is da-da-da-da, accusation, accusatory. And, and in this, this conclusion, in this assessment, they, they look at him and they, they said, shouldn't she be stoned? What do you have to say? And they said this, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him of. Now, here's the setup. If he doesn't acknowledge the law of Moses, he isn't of God and he's not the Messiah. If he allows them to stone her, he'll lose all of the people that are following him and his words will be hollow and empty. If he doesn't bring judgment upon her, he violates the commandment. And you look at it and you say, oh my goodness. What, what, he's in a pickle. What is he to do? The law says to do this. And the people can all relate to her. And this is a setup. 
And the people are moved because they're sick of the religiosity and the legalism and, the, and, and those lording it over them. And they're drawn to him and there's what, what the dynamic of it. And he's, he's in a pickle and they've set him up. Are you going to stone her like the law says? Or are you just going to let her go and avoid the law? And, and you look at that and you say, what, how do you get out of that? I imagine in, in the city council, I'm going to be in a pickle now and then. Maybe this Tuesday, I don't know. And there's going to be people saying, you must do this. This is what the law says. And then you, but this is the, and where are you? And, then, and you know, it's like, it's like Solomon. It's my baby. It's my baby. Let's cut it in half. I don't worry, he won't do that. <laughs> but you need the wisdom to navigate that. And, and, and so as they say this, testing him to seeing that they might find something to accuse him of. Look at what happens at the end of verse six. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers, though he didn't hear. Now he heard them, but he just, just went about what he was doing. I, I hear you. And, and they're, they're sitting here, Law of Moses, Leviticus 20, verse 10 says that they commit this. And the people are going, oh, he's going to stone her. What's it? What, why are they? Who is it? And then the whole spectacle, the kids, hide your eyes. And the woman's naked. and running, Adultery. And the men are going, oh, oh I, no, I know her. I, well, and then men, oh, the, the, the dynamic. Imagine what everybody's mind is doing. Some are looking introspectively. I, I can't say, I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing. I was going, kill her, kill her. And in their own life, they're just filled with sin, but they just they don't want anyone to know. And so they're joining in the rabble. Kill her, kill her, I'm with you. I, I, don't have, I didn't do anything. Go. And the whole dynamic, and, and Jesus is watching this. They've interrupted his study, and he just, he just kneels down. And he just begins to write in the dirt. With his finger, the scripture says. He's writing in the dirt. Just writing in the dirt. Tic tac toe. <laughs> Cat's game. <laughs> He's writing in the dirt. What did he write? You want to know what he wrote? You'll have to ask him. I have no idea. Oh, theologians have speculated. They come up with all kinds of ideas. All I know is he's writing. And while he's writing in the dirt, they continued asking him. What about it? He's just writing in the dirt. They're asking him, what are you going to do? Why are you writing in the dirt? He raised himself up. He looks out at him. And he says these simple words. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Because they're all sitting there with the stones ready to just take her out. And these aren't little like little, oh, oh. No, these are like, these are deadly bricks. Who's without sin? Go ahead, kill her. Anyone without sin, anyone who hasn't missed the mark, anyone who's perfect, anyone who's never lusted in their heart, anyone who's never lied, anyone who's never broken the rules, go ahead. Throw your brick. Now we don't know what he wrote. They continue to ask him. He says, he was without sin among you. Let him throw the stone first. And then you know what he does? He again stoops down. And he begins to write in the ground. What is he writing? What do you, what is, how do you write in the dirt and make people go away? I love what one theologian speculates. Many join him, and I don't know who the first was, but he or she came up with a conclusion that he was writing in the dirt and he was saying, Rabbi Stern. And then he would draw a line and he'd write the woman's name. Joanna. Rabbi Stern's like, let's do it. Oh, jeepers. <laughs> Joe. Sally. Joe who? <laughs> you don't have a last name there. He stoops down the second time, puts the first letter of the last name. He's like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> right. 
All I know is whatever he wrote brought conviction. So today, for those of you who are ready to throw that stone, I have no ability to write. I'm actually terrible. I'm not an artist. The only thing I can draw is a bath. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but what, instead of writing, what we're going to do, and we've, we've arranged this with all of your relatives and family and friends. We've done extensive research. We, we've put together <clears throat> a video. Kevin, we're going to start with you. We have a video here. <laughs> Of everything Kevin's ever done in secret and all the sins he's ever committed. (laughs) And we just want everyone to observe your life. This is your life. Now, some of you go, I I can, I could, I could handle it. You are so self-deceived. You are not listening. Do you not understand the depravity of your sin. You think it less than the person upon whom you are pointing that finger. Do you need him to kneel before you and write in the dirt? And as he begins to write the second time, After he says, go ahead and throw that brick. Throw it. Then those who heard it, being convicted. Convicted. Convict. Guilty as charged. You know how long it would take me to find out about you? In this day and age? I've already been through the gauntlet. I ran for office. I know things about me I never even knew I knew. (laughs) Being convicted by their conscience, they get it. Hopefully that chord's been played in your heart and your mind. They went out one by one and beginning with the oldest even to the last. The oldest ones are like, I ain't staying for this. I have been doing this way too long. And I know that they get it. There's wisdom there. I'm not staying for this. I know I'm guilty. And off they go. And the youngest are like, well, I mean, that's not all that bad. I mean, you know, I didn't go all the way. Grandpa's leaving? Mom? Dad? better go too. And they begin to leave and peel off one by one. Oldest to the last and Jesus was left alone. I got news for you. The room would be empty if we really want to play this game. And he was left alone and being left alone. I love this. He raised himself up. The woman was standing in the midst. He raises himself up from the ground that he was riding in. And he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? I find in the ministry, and I think the reason why the attrition rate's so high in the ministry and why pastors quit. First of all, God takes the weakest among you and makes them the pastors. Scriptures declare that. Foolish things of the world confound the wisdom of the wise and he puts them in the pulpit. And then they are called to study to show themselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. And they're flawed creatures preaching an infallible word. And the word goes forward, brings conviction, pierces your conscience, and then you look at the the mouthpiece of that message. And instead of dealing with what God has given, you dismiss it because of the instrument used. 
Now, I'm sorry that Sundays and Wednesdays you have to endure a flawed creature like me. And I got you all beat when it comes to failure. Problem is, you can't use me as an excuse. It just doesn't work. Isn't that awful? And here, they were moved. So you, you, you come to a place where you can either process it and let God's word change you. And I, I, was, I was touched by a comment. Don't decide your character by the culture. Let God's word establish your character. Pastor, you're outdated. Pastor, you're, you don't understand. that. This, and the, the scriptures, that doesn't pertain to today's... This is, this is what I believe in. This is what I'm teaching. This is the inerrant, holy word of God. Whether you agree or disagree, you can go your own way, write your own script, do whatever you want. But this is what we're doing week in and week out. And you can let, let the bullseye change in your world that has no absolutes to justify your behavior. And, and we, we talk, you know, about the woman that portrayed herself to be black but was white all along. And we stand in condemnation of her. Well, we stand in condemnation of a society that, that chromosomally speaking, we, we can change our sex in our schools, but we can't change our race. I mean, I, it just, it's not beyond the, the logic of, of the world when it has no absolutes to process in any way, shape, or form. And we love to sit in condemnation because it violates the justification of our position. But if we have an absolute that we agree to, then that can speak into our lives. And oftentimes we reject it because we don't want to give up our sin. And I don't care what you struggle with, God's word speaks to it and give you the power to overcome it. But if you want to sit in your justification of your miserable life while you continue in your sin and point out somebody that's different than you, as though they're worse than you are, you are completely wrong. The scriptures are to use first and primarily to internalize in your life to examine your own heart before you condemn those outside. That's why they peeled off. It wouldn't take long to write in the sand for each and every one of us. Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And she didn't say master or teacher. She said, Lord, and she meant it, curios. <laughs> you are my God. And only you could have delivered me from this hell. No one, Lord. How did you do that? They were going to kill me. I mean, all you did was write in the sand. How did you do that? And when he asked her that question, how did he look at her? I don't know. We can only speculate. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? He didn't look at her and go, well, red dress, brazen hussy. <laughs> you adulterous Jezebel. Apparently somebody doesn't read Leviticus. <laughs> she says, no one, Lord. For a minute, I want to stop. Because some of you say, what about the sin? It's awful. Galatians says, Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. It goes on. Those are works of the flesh. That's evident. That is not of God. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable among all, 
and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. You're not going to get away with it. I am, I am not condoning adultery. Stop it. And if you're thinking about it, don't. It will ruin your testimony. It will ruin your marriage. It will ruin your children. It will devastate the church. Need I go on? It's the one sin that, it, that God gives permission for divorce because it's so grievous and crushes a heart so much out of a covenant made before God that the, the partner, the marriage partner, can't heal almost. I can't live with somebody who's been so deceptive. God doesn't condone divorce. He gives permission because he knows it's so devastating. So don't, don't think I'm condoning it. Don't, don't attribute that to me. And the stones that they were going to throw at her, we find out at the end of the chapter in verse 59, then they took up stones to throw at Jesus. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. After they're done with you, they're coming after him. Self-deception has no, no end. It'll attack everyone in their path. But in the same regard, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. The people who attack you the most are usually the ones that are not applying Galatians 6. When we're in the midst of sin, we feel justified in our sin because of Galatians 6. Well, they are, they're rough and, they're, and they're, putting, they're putting areas in your life and things that they want for you to operate. They're, they're allowing you into the world of, of community and, and, and yet your actions have been threatening and dangerous and yet you take Galatians 6 and, and say that they're not allowed to put boundaries. And then those boundaries can be so overwhelming that you don't apply Galatians 6. There's a balance in it. And you, you look at this and, yeah, adultery is sinning against the spouse. Breaks the trust in the covenant relationship. Kids will be hurt. The church will be hurt. Society, community will be hurt. But remember this. This is Psalm 51.4. David says to God, God, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. God, I did this against you. So when the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself, says, where are your accusers? There's no one there who can condemn her because he has forgiven her. And if it's a violation of God and God forgives, God is completely just because the wages of sin is death and Jesus knew, I'm going to pay that and you receive it by faith. I'm going to go to the death chamber. I'll be, I'll be crucified. I'll bleed on behalf of your sins. I'm going to take those upon me. And so when she responded by, when he said, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. At that moment, the ending of verse 11, Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now we love, we love to even screw that up. Go and sin no more. And then I will forgive you. I don't condemn you, but don't ever let it happen again. Because I will run out of grace. The spigot will run dry. This adultery pretty much drained your account, woman. No. The idea is go and sin no more. It doesn't say go and sin, go and sin no more and I won't condemn you. It says neither do I condemn you. Go and continuing in sin no more lifestyle. You, you, let it be the exception, not the rule. You got a new lease on life. It's, it's my kindness that will lead you to repentance. There isn't perfection in the body of Christ. The idea is the only, the only way you can walk in victory is to let the Lord walk through you and in you. And We die and rely. 
And so he says, neither do I contem- condemn you, neither do I condemn you. And, and in the context, in the verb tense, neither do I condemn you. Go continuing in sin no more. Don't continue that lifestyle. You've been forgiven. You get to walk in the newness of life. You get to walk in that freedom. And I think about this idea Jesus says in verse 12, and this is what we close with. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of, of life. I think the people came back in and he just began to minister to them is because they were stunned by it. They were stunned by it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me close with this emphasis. The power of having a Messiah, the power of having a Savior, is that the world is filled with failure. And we are devouring one another by our condemnation because our condemnation on others brings justification in our own misery. And if we can get political power, then our position is such that we can condemn those in a different fraternity or union or whatever it is. But if we realize before God that there are none righteous, no, not one, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There aren't any better than anyone else. There's no class system in Christianity. We're all sinners saved by grace. And as God has forgiven you, so forgive one another. And to the level you judge, you will be judged. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And if we receive from the Lord that forgiveness, we extend it to others. But that forgiveness is not so that we can continue in sin so that grace may abound. It's to be forgiven so that we can walk away from it and walk in the newness of life, not continuing in the sin any longer. Go and sin no more. We stay in the sin and we judge those that would even attempt, their lifestyles would even attempt to speak into our own. And then, and then we're vile and we gossip and we slander and we attack. Stop it. Stop. Let the Lord minister to your heart the forgiveness of your name in the sand. Put down the brick and start living. Living not for yourself and your justification, but for others. This is the beauty of Christianity. We have a Savior that paid the price so that He's completely just and completely merciful. And what he's done for you, do for one another. And watch as the hearts in our community start to change instead of us devouring one another. Amen? That's the word for today. Oh, and happy Father's Day. <laughs> Lord, thank you for your word, and I thank you for the men and women present that, Lord, I, I'm so grateful for this congregation that they understand the power of grace and mercy. Week in and week out, not only the grace they extend to me, but to each other. I can only speak from my vantage point that there isn't a, a kinder place to be, a more merciful place to be. But Lord, we also don't treat sin lightly. We walk circumspectly. We don't judge another man's servant, but Lord, we... We look into our own lives and say, God, if there be any wicked way in me, Lord, I want to walk in the newness of life. I don't want this anymore. I'm guilty. I don't, I don't want the man to be here or the woman to be here and, and justify that, that I, I don't deserve this because the person who did this with me isn't here. And we don't sit there trying to justify ourselves before you, Lord. We just stand and we look at our own lives and we say, guilty is charged. And there's no one left to condemn me. No one, Lord, no one. Then neither do I condemn thee. I close in our prayer with this last thought. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. It's already condemned. We're all sinners. He said, I came to forgive you. And that forgiveness comes by faith through grace. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn this. God's ready to give it to you. 
And in humility, you need to receive it. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. His blood will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. As he forgives you, you forgive one another. You forget what is behind, you strive for what is ahead, and God does a new work in your life. If you've never received this forgiveness as that woman did, neither do I condemn thee, God says to you. And the only reason why he can't condemn you is because if you receive by faith his blood covering your sins, then the price is paid and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has given to you today a savior. He's come to deliver you from the crowd to accuse you. And if you're ready to receive him as your savior, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, there needs to be an act of faith. And the act of faith is you're gonna reach out and receive that gift. And I'm gonna ask you in a moment, if you wanna receive Christ as your Savior, I'm gonna ask you in a moment to raise your hand as that act of faith. Today is a day of salvation. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. If you're ready to receive your Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who can deliver you from the accusations of the crowds and to give you a new heart, if you're ready to receive him, I ask right now that you'd raise your hand right now. Amen. God bless you. 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 God bless you back there. Lord, thank you for those who've responded to your gift of salvation. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No one has come into this world to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. We just have capricious gods that stand in condemnation. But now, Lord, we can stand before you because your son has paid the penalty of our sins. And all that can cause us to do is to worship you. It's your kindness that has led us to repentance. And so, God, we're grateful. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Terms the world knows very little about. That those who lost their families could turn to a killer and say, I forgive you. That is miraculous. That is only able to be done by God. Lord, thank you for that testimony this week. From ashes, you created beauty. And Lord, thank you for those who gave their heart to you today. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.